the start of 2024, we've been looking at exactly that. We've been looking at the things that matter most in our relationship with God, getting back to those places. And uh, the first message I preached this year, if you remember, was about returning to our childlike faith. Jesus said it himself, that you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you have the faith of a child. And I explained that that faith is a faith that's dependent on God, a faith that is trusting in God, and a faith that is honest with God. And as we've continued this journey, I also shared last time I preached about what that faith is. If you remember, I talked about the fact that Jesus described faith as a mustard seed. Remember that? And hopefully you can't forget this, that Jesus described faith as yeast. Exactly. Pizza. That's right. That, uh, that the yeast starts off, this little bit of yeast, as you knead it into the dough, causes the dough to expand and it penetrates every aspect of the dough. It goes into every part. Just as an analogy of our lives, it goes into every part of our lives. And, and God's desire for us is that the faith that he plants in us would grow and become and penetrate every aspect and every part of our lives so that we would be able to live for him in the way that he created us to live. And we describe this as a walk. This is our walk of faith. This is, the Bible continually talks about our faith as a walk. And we talked from Galatians 5, and Julie shared from this verse as well last week, in Galatians 5, where it says that this, this walk is a walk in the Spirit. And Paul says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then it goes on in verse 22 to say, but the fruit of the spirit. In other words, the fruit of walking with the spirit. The fruit of walking in the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then verse 25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 25 sums it up perfectly that we are called to live by the Spirit. And last week, Julie preached amazingly about who the Holy Spirit is. If you didn't hear it, you can go to YouTube or the podcast and check it out. But if you want to know who the Holy Spirit and what he does in our life is, then that's great to listen to. But she explained how Jesus did everything required to make it possible for us to live in the Spirit. He, he gave us full access to a relationship with God through, his, through becoming a man, coming to earth, dying on the cross. He broke the power of sin, the thing that's caused us to be separated from God. And in his resurrection power, he gave us life, fresh life, for whoever would believe in him. But the incredible thing of the story is it didn't finish there because it talks about the fact that Jesus went back to heaven and he said, I have to go back to heaven for this reason, that I can send the Holy Spirit to be with you. 
This is the, the key thing. He went back with the full intention of sending the Holy Spirit to be with us. Why? So that we could live by the Spirit. So that we could walk in the Spirit. That, And we'll talk about more about this, but I want to take a step back because Jesus actually alluded to this life when he was on earth. When he was talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. Anyone remember that story? The woman at the well. And Jesus comes to her and they start talking about spiritual matters. And Jesus says these really incredible words and he begins to prepare the way for this life in the spirit for us that he has given us now and we'll have a look at it in John 4 verses 23 and 24 where it says yet Jesus talking here yet a time is coming and now has come why has the time now come because Jesus is here he is revealed he is he is brought God to earth and he says, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Think about that for a moment. He's, he's explaining that if we're going to follow God, if we're going to be connected to God if we're going to worship God then we must do it in spirit and how is that possible well if you and you can do this later I'm not going to look at it now but if you take a step back to John chapter 3 most of us would know that chapter it's the chapter where Jesus meets with Nicodemus and he talks about being born again do you remember that and Nicodemus says how can I be born again he goes well once you're born in the flesh but then the second time you're born in the spirit and then the famous verse is for the God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. So how are we born in the spirit? By believing in Jesus Christ. By believing he is the son of God. By, and when that happens, when we put our faith in him, something incredible happens in our lives. Our spirit, the Bible teaches us that our spirit that was dead is now alive. And our spirit is now able to connect with God who is spirit. And there is no barrier any longer. There's no, nothing that hinders that. No sin, no anything, no death, anything can hinder us from having the life in the spirit. Isn't that cool? But this is the crazy thing, is that Jesus' challenge to us is not just to worship him in spirit. He says that we're called as worshippers of God to what? Worship him in spirit and in truth. And in truth. So what is this truth that we're to worship him in? You think, isn't it enough to just worship you in spirit, God? That we have access to you, that our spirit connects with your spirit and your spirit lives in us. And isn't that enough? But he says, no, you need to worship me in truth as well. What is that truth? Interestingly, in in the Amplified Bible, it, when it has that word truth in brackets next to it, it says reality. That we're to worship him in reality. How can I explain that? It's simply as, I'd say it this way, those who worship God in spirit will also worship, the, or, or, worship or live their lives in a way that authentically reflects 
or realistically reflects who God is. That's, that's what it means to worship God in truth. Is that my, my life is connected with you, I believe in you, so now my life, the life that I live, will be lived in truth. That truth is, I will live who God is to the world around me. In, interestingly, in this passage, Jesus is exactly doing that. When he's talking to the woman at the well, think about it for a moment. Number one, she is a woman. And number two, she is a Samaritan. Now, in his time, in his religious culture of the day, what he was doing was forbidden by their so-called rules. Men didn't talk to women unless they were related. And women were considered lower than men. And let alone is he talking to a woman, but he is talking to a Samaritan woman who the Jews believe were worse than the Gentiles. And that you, did, you all heard the story of the Good Samaritan, how, how astonishing that is that uh, a Samaritan would help a Jew because it just didn't happen. So Jesus, in his actions, in the way he is living, he is expressing truth. What's the truth he is expressing? Is that in God's kingdom, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, Samaritan or Jew, rich or poor, Every one of us is equal in God's eyes. And these are the truths that God wants us to live in. This is the truth that he wants us to express as worship to him. That we worship him in spirit, yes, because we can have access to God. Nothing separates us from God. But if we are worshiping him in spirit, then we need to live in the truth. The truth of the kingdom is that we are all equal. The truth of the kingdom is that God, Jesus died for every person. The truth of the kingdom is that we are called to love one another as Christ has loved us. The truth of the kingdom is peace. These are the things that is the truth of the kingdom that God has called us to live in. How is it possible to live in this truth, to live and worship God in truth? Simply, he gives us the idea in Galatians 5, by walking in the Spirit. The only way we will ever worship God in spirit and truth is by understanding that God has given us his Holy Spirit to walk with. As Julie explained so powerfully, the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is to encourage us, to help us, to support us, to reveal and reveal God to us, to reveal truth to us, to give us revelation. These are the things that he does. He empowers and enables us to walk in truth, to walk in the ways of the kingdom of God. And this is why God sending the Holy Spirit to us is such an incredible expression of God's love to us. This is why it matters so much. Because Jesus said it himself, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you, to help you, to live in you. He is sending the best of himself to us to encourage us, support us, teach us, reveal to us and even so importantly to empower us to live in a relationship with God. You know in Romans 8 and it's a bit earlier in from the scripture that 
that Judy um, said before, but in Romans 8, it says this so powerfully, and I shared this the other week, but I just think God wants to get something home today. He wants us to remind us of who we are in Him and what He has given us and, and how amazing it is. Because in Romans 8, Paul says these words, For all who are led by the Spirit are what? I can't hear you. Say it with conviction. That's it. So that you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Now, and I'm talking from my own experience here. For most of my Christian life, I lived life as a fearful slave. Worried if I didn't do the right thing and if I didn't do this and I didn't do that, God would be mad at me. Because that's what the church I grew up in taught me. And that he would punish me for it. But this God did not give you a spirit that makes you fearful slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when, you, when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. I've talked about that lots and lots. But that's that intimate exchange of a, a personal word or name for God that only you and he share. And for, verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit. What's that? Worshipping God in spirit. To affirm that we are God's children. God's spirit joins with our spirit to let us know that we are his children. So think about that. We are not slaves. We are not just to obey a whole bunch of rules. We are to live as children. God is our caregiver. God is our parent. God is the one who loves us as a parent and loves his children. And he wants us to live in that love. The best picture I can give you of that is the story of the prodigal son. And that father there who loved his son. And, and this is what the type of relationship God wants us to walk in with him. A, a relationship where we're not slaves but we are his children. And we have received God's spirit in us so that we can walk with God, walk with him. And as we walk with him, we will become more like him. We will begin to produce the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things. And as we become more like Him, we begin to display His truth or the truth of who He is to the world around us. Do you get that? This is what God has called us to, that we are His children. And as I was exploring this and as I was praying about this in prayer space a couple of weeks ago, God reminded me of a scripture in Thessalonians. And in this passage, he brought it back to my remembrance. And it was a real encouragement to me, or an encouragement from Paul, of what it looks like to live this life in a very real and practical way. And what, in, in a simple way, the way I can say it is that God's will for our lives is that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. And we... And we put that into practice by walking with him and but then there's practical things we need to live by to show us what that looks like does that make sense very simple practical commands that Paul gives us that show us how we can keep in step with the spirit what we need to do to keep in step with the spirit how we can do these things and they will help us live in spirit and in truth does anyone want to know them yeah you're keen they're very simple and you might think they're way too simple, but I, trust me, and I'm t- talking to myself here, if we can apply these to our lives and live in this space, 
I believe it can revolutionize our life. I might need some water. Does that sound good? This is exciting, church, because I, I just think God wants to restore some stuff this morning, as Judy shared. He just wants to remind us and restore us and reveal to us his heart towards us like we've never known before. And in Thessalonians 5 verses 16 to 18, it says these three things. Always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Most theologians tell us that what Paul is saying at the end there, this is God's will. He's not saying it just about being thankful. He's saying it about the trilogy of things. That God's will for our lives, and the word there for will is the Greek word telos, which simply means God's purpose. God's purpose for your life. Who wants to know God's purpose for your life? Well, here it is. Always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances. So put it simply, guess what? God's purpose for your life is not to have an incredible ministry. God's purpose for your life is not to have an amazing wife. What? God's purpose for your life is not to have an incredible job. We get confused about this because we love Jeremiah, talking about Jeremiah 29. God has a plan and a purpose and all of that stuff, and we love that. Oh, what's, God's got a good, prosperous thing for me. But you, we put the horse before the cart, or the cart before the horse, wrong way around. Because we put the promise before the practical, and the real, what the purpose actually is. And this is God's purpose. His, God's, his purpose is for us to live and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And how do we do that? We do that in our everyday lives by living joyfully, prayerfully, and thankfully. So let's have a quick look at these. I won't be much longer, but let's have a closer look at these ideas of what it means, first off, to be joyful. It says, always be joyful. Now, I know you look at me and you go, Ben, that's impossible. And I agree. I'm not saying I don't agree because stuff happens in life that doesn't make you joyful. Isn't that right? Is that life's tough sometimes. Life's hard. And there's, there's lots of times we get to that place where we, we can't be joyful about stuff. But I don't believe that this passage is telling us to fake it. You know, the old saying, fake it till you make it. So just be joyful. Make, put on a happy face and you, everything will be all right. It's not that. I, I think what is, Paul is telling us as you look deeper into the scripture is that he's talking about or reminding us to remember what we have to be joyful about. Because if you look at the Greek, and this verse is actually the shortest verse in the Bible in Greek. It's shorter than Jesus wept. So it's the, and it's very simple, but you have to understand that the, the Greek word for joyful in this, this passage is 
the root word for it is actually connected to the word grace. So little Scott, a theologian, explains that several Greek lexicons associate the origin of charo, or joyful, so charo is the Greek word for joyful, with charis, it's probably caro, not charo, <laughs> so with charis, or grace, as follows. Caro is from the root car, which means favorably disposed and leaning towards, and is related to charis, grace. And so to properly interpret it, it means to delight in God's grace or rejoice and literally to experience God's grace or favour or be conscious, in other words, be glad for his grace. Did you get that? So when we realise that we have been the receivers of God's grace, and that we have done nothing to deserve it, as the Bible tells us. That, that it is just purely God's goodness to us. That he sent his son despite of what we've done. But because he is good and loving and kind, he sent his son out of grace, a free gift. And he didn't even stop there. That once his son went back to heaven, he then sent his Holy Spirit to help us and to guide us. This is what we have to be joyful about this is what this passage is saying is always be joyful not about what's happening around you because some of that stuff is terrible but to always be joyful and and glad about the grace that you have received from God that grace to make you a child of God and then Paul reminds us that this is what we need to remember this is what we, like, because in human nature, familiarity breeds contempt. Basically, we take things for granted once we've known them for a while. And I just loved what Jack was singing this morning, that whole nothing else matters and I want to just be at your feet. Just that reminder to get back to that passion and that love that we had for God when we first experienced his grace. And so this joy isn't determined by what is happening in our life but rather it is determined by who we are doing life with. The God who is generous and gracious to us. The God who loves us. The God who has given us everything we need to live for him. And this is God's will for our lives, to be always joyful for our salvation. And maybe some of us here today, including our myself in this have to be reminded of the incredible gift that we have received the incredible gift we have received the truth is we all make mistakes we all slip up we all we are all human that's the reality of it I remember sharing with someone one day of a mistake I had made and him just saying to me very clearly aren't you glad that you're just human, like the rest of us, because we all make mistakes. But the idea, the amazing thing is when we understand God's grace, we understand that his help is only one prayer away, one prayer of repentance, one prayer of saying, I'm sorry, God, 
like we sang this morning, I'm sorry. Sorry for bringing my own agenda. I'm sorry for focusing on me too much and not enough on what you've done for me. And there's a great illustration of this in the Bible. It says it really powerfully in the story of King David. And after he had done some terrible things, probably worse than any of us have done in this room. He had an affair with a woman who was married to another man. That's bad enough. But then he had her husband killed. Isn't that pretty bad? I don't think any of us have done that bad. But he, God comes to, sends the prophet to talk to him and he, he realizes his mistakes, realizes how far he has fallen from God's way and his relationship with God. And he writes a psalm in Psalm 51 and these powerful words he pr- prays in Psalm 51. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And he says these powerful words that we all, I believe, should be praying regularly. Restore to me, what? The joy, the joy of, my, of your salvation. Not my salvation, the salvation that God has given me. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What's that willing spirit? A willing spirit to follow you, God. To keep in step with you, God. And this is what it means to always be joyful. Stay in that space, to be in that space where you're always saying, God, help me never forget what you have given me. You have given me sonship. You have made me a child of God. You've, you're not, I'm not a slave any longer. I am your child. This is what counts. Secondly, it says never stop praying. Never stop praying. The obvious thing is if we have the Holy Spirit in us and we're walking with him, then it makes sense that he can be involved in everything we are doing. Isn't that right? He's there all the time. He's with us all the time. And so this doesn't mean when it says never stop praying, some of you might think, well, I just need to be saying the Lord's Prayer all the time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All that, and you think, I've just got to keep praying that over and over again. I actually saw a video this week where some famous person, I can't remember, he looks like Matt Damon, what's his name? Uh, Mark Wahlberg. He's a Catholic and uh, won't hold that against him, but he's leading into Lent and he's saying, join me in prayer. And he, and he says, and then he begins to say, our Father who art in heaven. For, like, for him, he's thinking like prayer is just about reciting this prayer that Jesus is giving us. But prayer is so much more than that. Yeah, there's times we do recite the Lord's Prayer and other prayers, and that's, okay, that's good, but prayer is so much bigger. Prayer is that idea that God is in me and walking with me, and so in everything I do, I need to be conscious of God. That's prayer. Prayer is simply communicating with God. And just like our communication in the physical, it has so many variations on top of verbal. I've said this before, verbal only consists of 20% of our communication. 80% of it is listening, body language, tone, all of these things. Only 20% is verbal. And so we think if we're praying, we have to be always speaking to God. No. Sometimes we need to be listening to God because God is always talking. 
He is always working. He's always speaking. And sometimes we need to be writing to God. Sometimes we need to be just pondering on God. It's not, it, sometimes we need to be leaning into God, like in a worship service like this, and leaning in. Our worship that we sang this morning is prayer to God. Reading your Bible is prayer to God. Prayer is so much more than just words and prayers. And so I, I want to encourage you today, I've, and I believe our prayer life can be revolutionized when we fully grasp and understand that the Holy Spirit is in us. He's not just alongside us, but He is in us. And that means that He is available to us to communicate with every moment of our day. And isn't this God's will for our lives? That we would have relationship with God? Isn't this what he created us for? That we would, always be, we would always have access to him? That's what Jesus died for. And this is why the Bible says he is our ever-present help in our time of need. Uh, and this is, this is that whole idea of why it says that God in you is the hope of glory. Anyone heard that scripture? God in you, the hope of glory. What's that hope of glory? That we would be restored back into the image of who he created us to be. That we would, God in us is the beginning of restoring the plan that we would know God and be children of God and experience a relationship with God. How good is that? You can talk to God all the time. You can communicate with him all the time. And not, not just in your words, but in your actions. The things you do. Jesus meeting that Samaritan woman at the well was him communicating with God because he was living in a way that honoured God's way. He was living in truth. I'm going to show not just this woman, but the world, because he knew it was going to get written about, that every person is equal with God. In God's eyes. Does that make sense? The last thing that we need to do is to be thankful in all circumstances. You know, thankfulness and gratitude are real buzzwords at the moment. But the reality is, as children of God, they are vital for us to remain a healthy, maintain a healthy relationship with God. A few weeks ago, Steve talked about digging the wells and he talked about building altars. Do you remember that? How the Jews would build altars when they encountered God or individuals encountered God. So like Isaac encountered God, so he built an altar. I've been reading about Abraham encountering God and he builds an altar to remember that that is the spot where God met with us. Is that right? And God did that in the Old Testament because he knew how quickly we forget isn't that right? How quickly we move on or get distracted and, and move into all sorts of different things. And so God had this strategy to remind us that he, the things that he does for us. But there is one benefit that we have now in this age of grace that the Jews did not have when it comes to God. Is the fact that right now we have access to God all the time. I don't know if we understand how good and how amazing that is. Because for the Jews, I don't know, I've never counted up how many times it talks about them building altars. But over the three or four thousand years of the Old Testament, however long it was, 
is probably not much more than a dozen times that I can think of. That these amazing encounters with God that they say, let's put a monument here so we remember what God has done. But we, we have that available to us all the time now. How incredible is that? It's just amazing in that fact. So the first thing we need to be thankful to God in all things is that we have access to God. We have God in us 24-7, 365 days of the year. How does that affect, how does that make you think and how do you think that will affect the way you live if you fully grasp that? Is that going to make you thankful, grateful? And then this brings me to the passage that Judy shared in Romans 8 because it's so critical for us to understand this. If we're going to be thankful and because our passage says in all things doesn't it so when you talk about in all things what does that mean all things so we need to be thankful to god in the good things that happen but we also need to be thankful to god for the difficult things that happen for the challenging things that happen for dare i say the bad things that happen but I believe the reason we can be thankful in all things is because of what Jesus has done. God's love is with us in all things. And that brings us to that passage that Judy shared. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death as being slaughtered like sheep as the scripture says for your sake we are killed every day we are being slaughtered like sheep no verse 37 says despite all these things overwhelming victory is ours through christ who loved us and then he goes on to say, I and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, God's will for our lives is, is for you and me to know you can be thankful in all things because there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. God's love is always available no matter what it looks like around you at the moment. This is really important for us to understand. Because as I said earlier, sometimes we think when bad things happen to us, when difficult situations happen, when we have conflict and trouble, we think, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. God's word says nothing can separate you from God's love. Not even your mistakes. Not even your problems. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And that means 
And let me say this, in this day and age, this is really important to say, not even your feelings can separate you from God's love. You get that? Because I, I, and I've said this myself, I've gone through a season where I just don't feel God's love. Oh, it's been so long since I've felt God's love. And we think that God shows us he loves us by giving us goosebumps in the worship. Or God loves us when we have these divine encounters with God and then we know God loves us. But that's, that's not what this is saying. It's not even your feelings can separate you from God's love. So God's love is not about an experience. Do you hear that? God's love is not about you having an experience with God. How do we know God loves us? We simply go to the Bible and see that Jesus died on a cross because he loves us. It's like some, someone once asked me that, said, how do I know Jesus loves me? I don't feel anything in church. I don't feel anything. And I said, no, faith tells us that we know God loves us because Jesus was prepared to die on a cross for us. He was prepared to become a human for us. He was prepared to give his life for us. And that's how we know God loves us. It's not about having goosebumps or having feelings. It's about knowing, as the scripture says here, that nothing, for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, nothing can separate us from God's love. How good is that? And this is God's will for us. God's will is, is that we would know him. God's will is that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. That's God's will for your life. And as you do that, you produce fruit. You see good things happen. You see love, joy, peace, patience become a part of your life. You see God use you to, to bless others in amazing ways. But at the end of the time, at, at, at the end of it all, it's all about worshipping him in spirit and truth. And we worship him in spirit and truth by walking with him. And as we walk with him, what does it look like? It looks like what we said. Always being joyful. Never stopping praying. And being thankful in all circumstances. To put it simply, this is God's will for you. This is God's will for you. That we would maintain our joy, our first love, our thankfulness, our gratitude to God for the grace we have received. That we would continually involve him in every aspect of our life. And that we would be thankful that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing that happens in our life, in all circumstances, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the great thing is we can be thankful to God because that those things will never separate us from God's love. God's love is always available because of Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come. I'm going to ask them to play that song, Nothing Else, as a prayer this morning to, to God and as a reminder to us to see this joy of our salvation restored so I want us to take a moment as the band prepare just bow your heads and close your eyes
God has called you to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we're able to do that by walking in the Spirit because He has put His Spirit in us to walk with us, to encourage us, to empower us. And sometimes His job is to remind us of the things that really matter. What are those things that really matter? Always being joyful, to never stop praying, and to be thankful in all things. These are the things that really matter. So I want to invite you this morning, even as the band sings this song and and we begin to worship God, but I want you to invite you to even pray to God and just say, God, restore, restore the joy of my salvation. Restore in me that heart to love you with everything I have. To be joyful for what you have given me. To be thankful in even in what I'm going through right now, to stay connected to you. So why don't you take a moment as the band begins to sing, take a moment to, like David, ask God to create in you a clean heart, to restore the joy of your salvation, just to create a willing spirit within you. Just begin to ask Him right now. Begin to worship Him and begin to pray and connect with Him. You know, as the ushers are passing around the emblems, it's no accident that Jesus implemented the act of communion. We call it in the church the sacrament of communion, the holy place of communion. Because it reminds us, it's a, It can be more than a weekly reminder. It can be a daily reminder if you want to. It says every time you meet together. But it's a reminder to help us remember what he has done for us. The fact that those emblems you hold in your hand remind you that nothing, not even your sin, can separate you from God's love. Not even anything you've done Because it's not about us. It's all about Him. It's all about what He has done. That's what it's all about. And in your hands you hold the emblems. The blood that was shed for you. And the the bread which represents His body that was broken for you. What What an incredible reminder. Take a moment to consider that. To remember that that's God's love towards you. That's God's love towards you. It's not a nice feeling, but it's all about what He has done. That's what we put our faith in. His broken body and His blood that was shed for us. So why don't you take a moment to acknowledge it, to thank Him for it. Be thankful in all things. This morning, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter how pear-shaped it's gone, no matter how big your bills are or how sick your body is, 
In your hands you hold the emblem that nothing can separate you from God's love. So thank Him for that. Thank Him that His love is here right now and available to you. How do you know that? Because of what you hold in your hands. You know He loves you. He loves you so much that He's adopted you as His child and He's given you His Holy Spirit to help you, to encourage you, to empower you and enable you. Today as you drink, why don't you receive that in faith. Receive all that God has given you. Receive your inheritance today in Jesus' name. Let's eat and drink and receive all that God has for us in Jesus' name. Amen.